Welcome to On The Way, a podcast to help you make a meaningful connection with Jesus every day in the midst of your day-to-day. On this week's episode, Jaime and Alex talk about how to live right side up in an upside down world as they reflect on the Sermon on the Mount. Enjoy. Welcome everyone to this episode of the On The Way podcast. My name is Jaime. I'm one of the pastors here at Chatham Community Church and I'm here with Alex, who's a pastor here also. Alex, why don't you say hi to our listening audience? Hello listeners. Hello Jaime. Hey Alex, it's good to be able to be back here. First recording of 2020. Super fun. I look forward to this. It's great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. How's the year getting off to a, st- a start for you? It's been uh, full, but uh, it's been a good. Yeah, it's been a good stretch, a good season. How about you? 2020 off to a good start for you? 2020 is off to a good start. Uh, I've enjoyed the the uh, finally wintry weather here ah, in mm-hmm. North Carolina. Mm-hmm. It finally uh, winter finally caught up. To this, uh, to this location. So even though I'm not a huge fan of the cold, I'm a fan of consistency. Ah. And so I was starting to wonder why I kept feeling like spring and then autumn and then spring. And then we get a day of winter and then spring and then autumn. So I'm glad yeah. that we're finally purely in, in winter. Yeah, here. that's kind of how, if you don't like the weather in North Carolina, just wait 24 hours, it'll change. Yeah. And from my perspective, uh, I don't have much use for cold weather unless it's going to snow. Like cold yes. weather producing snow, fun. And then the, and then I want 65 the next day, melt the whole thing away, and sure. like a day of fun. So if I could put in like an order, that's what I would ask for. But uh, here it is, it's cold, no snow yet. We'll see what happens. We've still got yeah. a few more weeks. Yeah, I may or may not also be desiring snow, but I'm not going to put that on record because I don't want people to not like me. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so you know, the other thing that's been exciting for me uh, as the new year has started is that we've been spending time in the Sermon on the Mount here at Chatham Community Church. And, you know, we have not been spending time on the Sermon on the Mount just starting this year. We've been thinking about this for a few months. And so I've been just growing in anticipation. And uh, I got to say, it's not just the sermons. It's the conversation people have been having around the Sermon on the Mount. It's just it hasn't failed to deliver uh, just amazing experiences as I've been interacting with folks here in Chatham Community Church as the year has started. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. Well, in some ways, it's not a surprise, right? The, the, like this, this sermon has generated uh, great conversations for centuries and been uh, shaping believers' uh, lives and capturing imaginations in ways that are surprising, I think, to, to the people who often uh, are often the most radically committed to living by its tenets, right? There's a, there's a way where it's just uh, captivating, it's challenging. I mean, I, I, what I've said regularly uh, at Woods is it's the, it's the most cited speech in all of human history. People just riff off it all the time. They don't even realize that they're quoting it because it's so kind of a part of the, um, like, kind of lexicon and language and phrases that that, that kind of get pulled and so it has just been it has been uh wonderful to study with you and with michelle uh leading up to it and then working it out week after week and and yeah following up with people and and watching the connect devotional folks are having a great time with it too it's just been a really rich season and my small group conversations too have been a lot of fun as well so it's uh, it's been it's been a fun ride the first part of 2020 with us yeah, yeah. Some of our listeners may not know that one of the ways that we work through Scripture here at Chatham Community Church is that we align uh, our systems around that. So uh, most of our content delivery is sort of centered on whatever passage we're preaching on. So um, in the week leading up to a sermon, people will get daily uh, reflections for the weekdays based on that text, and they'll also be studying that text in small groups. And actually, that that devotion thing is something that we had paused uh, in the middle of last year. And, uh, you know, folks who used to receive it uh, started to to speak up, and, and they missed it, and they longed for it. And it was really helpful for us to know that. Um, you know, it's one of those things that when you're in leadership, sometimes 
you need to hear from people to know, hey, is this valuable to you? And, uh, and you know, we stopped because we weren't sure and also because, um, you know, we were, we were having some capacity issues. But, but hearing the feedback from people uh, made us uh, think, okay, we need to find a way to do this that works, that is resonant. And it actually led us to develop a system to deliver these devotions that was different than what we were doing. And I think it's producing our results and engagement that was uh, that's better than what we had, maybe. Yeah, it's been it's been fun to watch it kind of reboot here in January, and uh, great got a great team of writers and just bringing the different voices and perspectives. Um, it has been a lot of fun, and you know, one of the things I love about the system, which we kind of developed over time, is just watching. Uh, for for many folks, they've never sat down and read the Sermon on the Mount before or whatever, and so by the time we get done with this series, like if you're Connect devotional and small group Sunday morning, even if you're just getting two out of the three on a consistent basis, there's a way where, you know, by the time it's all said and done, we're going to know the Sermon on the Mount together and kind of sharing in this passage together, this text together. There's a way where I think it has the ability to shape community uh, uh, more holistically, more more rigorously, more thoroughly integrated uh, through these different sort of experiences together. So it's been, it's been uh, fun to sort of have the Connect devotional back up and running again. And uh, again, conversations in small groups, Sunday morning, it's just been a lot of fun. Yeah, one of the things I've appreciated about the Sermon on the Mount, because we're spending a number of weeks in this text, is it it it's uh it, it's not repetitive in the in the sense that it doesn't get tiring, right? It's it's rich. There are themes that come up over and over again, but it's also so broad. It covers so much of life that it just feels like every week, even when I hear echoes of things that we've talked in the past, sometimes there's like a new angle to it, or there's a different application, or there's a balancing comment that makes you want to pull back, oh, wait, what, what was it that we read a few weeks ago? Huh, how does that interact with this? It just feels like I'm finding new and new things. I've really appreciated that we've, we've taken the time to spend uh, you know, six weeks just in this chunk of text. Yeah, it's funny. We're spending six weeks in it, but we could spend six months in it or six years in it. I mm-hmm. mean, at, at every turn, I'm like, oh my gosh, we're we're kind of we're doing a flyover. I feel like we're sort of skimming the surface, and we're not really doing that. We're, we're we're trying to hit some resonant patterns, and there are certainly particular things that we could drill down. I mean, like last week we did the uh, Lord's Prayer, and we just you know at, at Woods, I, we just read it, and and I said uh, we're not going to talk about this hardly at all. So as penance, let's read it together, right? Because I because I just I felt the like. We're like we're reading the the um, the Lord's Prayer. We're not really unpacking it at all. We could spend six weeks just on the Lord's Prayer, you know. And mm-hmm. so um, there's so much richness, but it had it is in some ways, you know. If uh, there's 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 different ideas about whether this is one sermon or sort of a com- combination of a number of Jesus's sermons, but. If this is one sermon, this is how the the crowd heard it as one sermon. They they didn't Jesus didn't stop at each paragraph and and give a thirty minute sermon exposition on that last paragraph. He just gave it right. And so there's a way where even reading through a, a chunk of it on a, on a week, which you know this week we're, we're reading a big chunk of it again. Uh, there's something about well, that's actually somewhat how it was delivered. You know, the, the, it was a not a literate culture. It was all oral culture, and we they would just hear things out loud, and they would have to sort of take them, absorb them, and let them kind of wash over. And so there's a it's been fun to sort of give it some breathing room, but also to sort of do some uh, some big chunks and let it kind of just do its work. So it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, for me it's been fun because I'm I'm particularly more inclined to be a sort of down in the weeds kind of person, and uh, to take smaller chunks uh, of text and in, in, in general of life and just drill down significantly. And there is value in that. Like we preached uh, out of the Lord's Prayer a few months ago. Yeah. And we spent the whole sermon just on that section. And, you know, like you said, you could do a sermon on one phrase in the Sermon on the Mount. And 
we wouldn't do it justice. And there's something humbling as a preacher to know that. Uh, but what, what taking longer chunks does is it forces you to take a broader look at the text, which means sometimes you see patterns, you see the value in some repetition, you see uh, the connective tissue that goes through uh, a longer section of the passage, and it helps you think in, uh, it forces you to think in, in thematic ways yeah, right. and then see how this section applies to it. So it's been, it's been uh, challenging and helpful for me to, to, uh, to force myself to approach a text in a different way than what I normally am inclined to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because because every week you're leaving meat on the bone, right? There's like oh, there's so much more we could talk about and threads you could t- you could pull. So, uh, but 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 in that, like you said, it's sort of there's a discipline and sort of not sort of getting too tied into the weeds and sort of pulling these larger themes. And uh, you know, in some ways, in some ways, when you're talking about the the the, the, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you want to start the right conversation on answer every question, right? Because at every turn, there's an invitation to follow Jesus at a deeper level that has to be uh, worked out in our own lives in, our, in particular ways. And so in some ways, you want to sort of start the conversation of don't worry or what does it mean to be blessed or what does it mean to be salt or light and 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 and, and let this, the spirit and, and the community work out what does that mean in the particulars and not have to answer all those questions in a certain sense because you can't do that anyway. There's there's ways that what look, how that applies in particular ways in different contexts look different for different people. And so in some ways, uh, the Sum of the Mount is, a, is just a great way to sort of open up some things and let the spirit sort of take them and let people engage with them as they will. So it's uh, there's some good discipline in that for sure and a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, we've been hearing from people as they've been engaging with the text about things that have that have been personally striking for them uh, as they've either read through, studied, or heard in a sermon uh, from the Sermon on the Mount. So what's been personally striking for you? Yeah, I think the things that have stood out to me, um, there's been some ways where I feel like the Lord, as I've been studying this in my, in my own and engaging with it, where uh, there's been prayers that have been forged out of this, this passages. And I think uh, making those, like taking a prayer and sort of praying it for a week um, and just that's built around this, the, the scripture, the Father sees, the Father knows, the Father rewards, and making that sort of a mantra for my week. Uh, there's just a way where it's been really, um, the word is sort of grounding and sort of orienting as uh, as Lord's, I mean, as the Sermon Mount tends to do. It's, it's, it's deeply complicated and nuanced, but there's also a way where it just kind of cuts through some of the, 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 the noise of life and just says, here's what matters, right? Sort of seek the Father first and uh, and his kingdom and, and, and sort of there's a way where that is intensely grounding. And uh, when, he, when Jesus starts talking about worry and starts talking about getting caught up in the things that are passing, uh, it's like, yeah, guilty. And there's a, there's a way where sort of there's an invitation to sort of uh, detox and declutter and, and kind of come back to that. So for me personally, I feel like um, the start of 2020 has been a really hectic kind of a uh, season. And I think, I feel like in the midst of that circumstantial hecticness, there's been a, 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 a call to me from the Lord just to kind of be rooted and be still and to kind of, uh, make sure I'm keeping the main thing, the main thing, me before the, me before the Lord and then loving the people right around me, my, my family and then coworkers even perhaps get thrown in there as well. Uh, and then neighbors and other folks so there's something about that that's been 
personally uh, pretty uh, pretty moving for me and it's been very um, practical. I feel like the Lord's met me in really specific ways, given me prayers for specific weeks in ways that have been exactly what I needed. So how much of it has been personally uh, impactful for you? Yeah, There's been a few things. I think one of the, sort of overall, one of the things that I've found uh, personally striking or that has, has led me to do some significant reflection is the, the way it's structured, um, it, it's just, it feels really uh, direct at uh-huh. times. I mean, there's metaphor, there's imagery, but there's no, there's no narrative right. for three chapters. Uh, and so it's just one thing after the other. And it, it, after a while, it just becomes hard to hide. Uh, in, in a sense that, you know, I feel like the scripture is, is forcing me to be laid bare, is inviting me to be laid bare and let the the text, let the sermon, let the teaching just uproot stuff and and deposit stuff mm-hmm. inside of me. Mm-hmm. And I can't get caught up in the story and I can't get caught up in a parable. Um, uh, it's just, here's this thing about anger. Yeah. And here's this thing about worry. And here's this thing about where you build your foundation. And, uh, you, know, uh, you know, I could start reading it and feel like, okay, I'm just reading through this. But I can't get through the whole thing without at some point seeing myself reflected in the text. Um, and uh, that's been personally uh, striking for me. Uh-huh. Uh, I think also going through the Beatitudes and spending the time that we spent in them, uh, I just... Uh, it was it was moving for me. Uh, there is something significant, both about the the concept of blessedness, and about the uh, unexpected people that uh-huh. Jesus calls blessed, and you know the the people that no one formulating a list outside of this would include uh, would intuitively include all these people. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't necessarily be considered blessed. Maybe some of the qualities, but not all of them, I don't think. And uh, it did something to me, and it's still doing something to me, to read this and think, um, these people are blessed now, and I am blessed now when I am in solidarity with people who are like this, or when I am experiencing this condition, you know, the poverty in spirit and uh, mourning and uh, being persecuted. Um, there's something deeply challenging to the ideal, uh, the picture of the ideal that is presented for me and is presented for us uh, in, in those Beatitudes. This is not what people normally aspire to. Yeah. Uh, and yet they call that blessed. But this seems to paint something different. And so it's just been, um, uh, you know, just as a reflective tool, as something that's been calling out to me from the text I've uh, I've found myself continually thinking of the Beatitudes and what it means to be blessed. Yeah, you know, and, and as I was working with that opening chunk, which is again, we could spend six weeks just in that space. It was it was so powerful to me to 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 receive both both the word of sort of the 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 people who are poor poor in spirit who are you know who are mourning. They're blessed because Jesus is among them and the kingdom has arrived and and, and met them right where they are mm-hmm. right and. Um, and, and there's a way where uh, th- th- there's a promise on the other side of blessing and grace meeting these people. And I was really struck by 
how much I want to manufacture that grace or control that grace. Like I like the idea that God calls me blessed. And then he's like, you know, I said, any season of the harder station of life is a candidate for blessing in Jesus. Cause Jesus can meet us right in the midst of that morning, mm-hmm. morning, uh, good days, bad days, stress days, wor- worry days. I feel overwhelmed, sad, whatever blessings available to me because Jesus is available to me. And there's a way where that, that, that I don't have to, that, I thought there was a way that really struck me that, uh, Americans stink at waiting. And there's a way, there's a way where Jesus says, you don't have to wait to be blessed. Like I, I, I can meet you right where you are at any station of life. Any season of your life, I can be right. I'm right there, I'm, and I'm, I'm willing to sort of bring the kingdom to you. Now, the kingdom, when the kingdom comes, part of what was striking to me was um, there was promise on the other side of that blessedness. Uh, but but I, what I want to do is I want to uh, prescribe what that blessing looks like, right? Versus just receive that blessing as mm-hmm. a, as a gift of grace. Like I want to sort of say. Uh, well, God, here's my situation, here's my season of life, and it would be really great if, the, if if your grace moved in this particular way, which we can ask all the time. We do ask all the time for yeah, particular blessings. Uh, but there's a way where I, the, the willingness to kind of come to God and say, uh, the same God who's generous enough to call me blessed is going to be generous on the other side of what that grace looks like and the blessing looks like. And I just want to be, I got to be open handed with that and can't come with uh, prescriptions. So, God, you know, God's grace seldom matches my, sort of my prescription of that. And so I think there's been something that's all, again, orienting around like, so, Who's God? Who's in charge? How do I submit to that in a way that's life-giving and, uh, and, and gracious to me? And how is that, uh, how's that freeing me to, to, to not strive quite as much as a person who tends to want to just push, um, but to sort of surrender and live open-handedly uh, before God and before other people and just be willing to be, all right, what's, what, is, what does grace look like in this moment? And how do I be instrument of grace in the situation to this person? Or how do I just be open to grace? However God wants to bring it to me and having eyes to see mm-hmm. it. Because um, often if I get really tunnel vision on this is what I want, this is what I want, this is what I want. And there's grace coming, you know, that looks different than that. I, I don't, I, I'm not always able to receive it or I miss it. You know, I think there's definitely been times in my life where I've been so focused on this has to happen, this has to happen, this has to happen. I have not been able to have eyes open to see, oh, but there's grace surrounding me in all these other places. And so I think there's a way where the Beatitudes does that that larger work of orienting us around grace that is received versus demanded. And that's, uh, that's not easy for me, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because the declaration of being blessed in that situation, for some of them, what it leads me to want to ask is how. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, I don't know that that's a, a, the bad question yeah. because part of what it does is, okay, well, then, then let's have eyes to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not that they're blessed necessarily because of that, because of the situation that they're in. Right. Because um, some of the situations are particularly challenging, and I don't think they're going to persist in the kingdom of heaven. Right. But there is a way in which I think, and you said it yourself, like what Jesus is saying is you're blessed because I'm with you. Mm-hmm. And so to know that there, you're not only blessed now, there is deliverance coming, there's blessing coming, mm-hmm. but you don't have to wait for deliverance in order to see blessing. There is blessing in the now. It's around you. God is giving you something. And you know, I think the how is a good question. And it makes me curious to figure out, okay, so when I am uh, when I when I need to show mercy, um, when I am hungering and thirsting for righteousness because I'm experiencing the the pain of injustice, then how is the blessing showing up? How is Jesus showing up in blessing? How is Jesus not letting uh, that harm? be the predominant word of the moment right right it's uh, striking it's intriguing um yeah another part that is uh that has been it's challenging it's striking it just grabs my attention is uh the series of statements that jesus makes where he starts off by saying you have heard it said and then says but i say unto you 
uh, for a number of ways. One is I'm struck by Jesus's authority. Because uh, I can't, I just try to picture myself doing that with any number of things. And uh, it's, it's for me, it would be extremely presumptuous. Uh, but then also part of it is uh, it feels incredibly challenging when I think of the the gospel of grace to feel like Jesus, at some point it feels like he's making the law stricter. Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. Uh, and that takes a couple of readings to work through that. Like, cause I, it's just, once I read it it's, and, and study it and think about it and just sit with it, it's like, oh no, it's, he's taking it a level deeper. Uh-huh. He's going after the heart. And there's a part of me that would rather stay at the surface level because I can, I can manage behavior Right. Far, uh, far, far. It's easier for me to manage behavior than it is to um, steward my heart. Uh huh. Yeah. One 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 person who I, who was commenting about the function of the law in the scriptures said that the that the law is the surface pattern of behavior of a certain type of person. Mm-hmm. Right. That, that 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 that's what the law was. That if you if you were if you were a truly righteous, God fearing person, here's the patterns of behaviors you would demonstrate. You wouldn't lie. You wouldn't murder. You would honor your parents. Right. These sort of things. But uh, but uh, there's a there's a way where Jesus is sort of seeing that pattern of behavior and then, yeah, then going underneath it says, well, what's the per like, what does it mean to sort of shape the character of the person underneath those behaviors to have, so that, so that the, uh, our, our, our behaviors are consistent with the law and with our care, with character that is good with a law that is good, that all of it would sort of fit together, which is why he says your righteousness to be better than the, than the Pharisees, the religious leaders, mm-hmm. right? Because their, their outward behavior is good, but the, the character is what he keeps pushing at, right? And the, that there's this, this, there's this, Lack of congruence between these two things, and there's a uh, there's a challenge in there for me too. I'm, I'm much better at behavior modification and behavior management than I am sort of character formation, which is just a slower, longer process. And there's so much about the Sermon on the Mount that is calling you to a long, slow simmer yeah. of transformation, right? Versus sort of uh, oh, I need to do that, do that. Okay, check, 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 and then move on to the next thing. Indeed, indeed. I think it was uh, it was fortunate uh, that we we chose to do this at the beginning of the year because we. We happen to coincide with uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, and uh, you know we try to be mindful of uh, of race and ethnicity and culture when we preach. And that particular weekend, you know, we we try to think about um, his legacy as we preach. And so as I was I was studying stuff and reading stuff, I happened upon his principles of nonviolence, and uh, it was striking how much resonates with the Sermon on the Mount. Striking but not surprising, right? Once you take a moment, a beat to think, obviously uh, Dr. King's approach in the civil rights movement was highly informed by Jesus and highly informed by the Sermon on the Mount. But, um, you know, it, it takes a passage that is uh, highly conceptual uh-huh. and you get to see how someone implemented it in a way that was not without opposition. Uh, it was not without resistance it was not without violence, uh, not on their part, sure. uh, and uh, and uh, and it was not without people feeling puzzled, mm-hmm. and yet it uh, it changed a lot. It made a significant impact. You know, it made me really think. Oh, when we um, when we when we called this series "Living Right Side Up in a World That's Upside Down," uh, I hadn't I hadn't conceptualized how significant that would be how much how much application of this would look would look like that yeah because um, that's what the civil rights movement was it was 
these were people who were choosing to live right side up and calling a world that was upside down, society that was upside down, mm. to live in right side up ways. And they didn't resort to upside down methods right. to get it. Yeah, That's a beautiful, it is a beautiful picture of what right side up living looks like in a, in, a, in a space and in a kind of a particular kind of context that was so radically upside down. And, uh, and, and Dr. King, that Dr. King draws on this is, and the way that he implements it is, is a great, um, a great picture of just the relevance of this, right? Mm-hmm. How, how the, what Jesus is, and in some ways, what, 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 what one, what one commentator said was, there's plenty of commands in the in the Sermon on the Mount, but some things he's just saying are just true about the universe. He's not he's not saying you could like another thing. He doesn't say you uh, you. He's saying he says at one point he says you can't serve both God and money. He's not saying you shouldn't serve money and serve God. He's saying no, you can't. Literally, the way the universe works is you can't both worship God and worship money. Like we're gonna worship one and hate the other. Like this is how the world works, right? So. Uh, there's plenty of commands throughout the, the the Sermon on the Mount. There's also lots that's just like this is how the universe works, and if you don't come, if you don't uh, cooperate with the grain of the universe, you're gonna get splinters, right? You're gonna go against the grain of how God designed the universe. And there's a and there's a way where to go back to Dr. King, sort of the ways that sort of um, that the sort of the uh, the original sin of sort of uh, the American Constitution and, and 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 the ways that sort of black folks weren't whole human beings. I mean, so if you, so if you, if you write into your founding documents that certain people aren't human beings, like that's, that's, we let that demon in, in our founding documents and it has been up, we've been upside down and gotten, gotten splinters around that ever since mm-hmm. our, whole, our, our country's whole history. Right. And it's, it's done. It is uh, devastated uh, whole generations of peoples and families and uh, left horrific marks on, on individuals, on families, on communities on uh, on cities, on rural areas, on states, on the whole United States of America, and it just continues to be this thing that uh, where we uh, we continue to sort of um, have grief and and brokenness and sadness and lack of shalom and lack of right relationships, and it's all be, it's all because of this sort of this upside down thing that we baked into the the foundation of this this country that's having to be somehow unraveled and rewritten, and uh, there's a spiritual layer to that that is pretty deep and it's pretty ingrained. Um, and it's just a great picture of what happens. What happens when you start a country upside down, or with or with a major piece that's upside down, at least, mm-hmm. right? Uh, wow, it's really hard to turn it right side up again. And so this is and some some of this is even why the Sermon on the Mount is is a is a long obedience in the same direction to borrow from Eugene, Eugene Peterson, Peterson, who's borrowing from Friedrich Nietzsche of all people. I, I love that. That's true. Uh, um, that this idea that like man to get right side up is a is a is a long it's a long, hard walk. Walk it is, right? Yeah. It's a, it is a long, hard walk, and there's no, there's, there's no, there's just no microwave for character formation of an individual, much less turning a whole nation right side up, or you know, a world right beyond that. But you see, uh, you see throughout history, sort of Christians who, had to, who, who are serious about following Jesus and walking in the Spirit and living right side up, and how that, uh, how that has tremendous impact. Not only in their local area, but in the whole nation and on the whole world, which Dr. King's legacy clearly, right, was a global, uh, a global phenomenon that that has shaped, shaped imaginations ever since. Indeed, it has. Indeed, it has. Um, how? So, since we're talking about the le- legacy and we're talking about how it shaped imaginations, uh, let's take it a little bit broader and uh, talk about how the uh, Sermon on the Mount is relevant today. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the uh, the idea of um, the the core idea is sort of uh, 
priorities, which I mean, like, boy, you talk about like uh, a multi-billion-dollar industry in America, right? So from from life coaching to books and magazines and articles and all that kind of thing, there's just so many people who are trying to figure out how do I how do I how do I in, in a in a sea where we have more choices than ever before, how do I triage all my choices, right? And mm. and there's a way where Jesus sort of gives this great, you know, seek first the kingdom of heaven, everything else will be added, right? There's a way where Jesus is inviting us to do triage and sort of, and sort of establishing, let me tell you, let me tell you what's going to help you live right side up in every other area of your life, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think there's a, uh, there is a, if we're, if we're, if we are willing to radically orient ourselves in that way, it's, it's pretty transformative. And, you know, and I think one of the, one of the very real challenges that we have, and even, um, as a, as a church community, the thing that I wrestle with is, you know, we we are so glad to have so many people at so many different places in the spiritual journey. But we have a lot of folks who are you know, kind of moderately churched and show up every so often. And for him, church uh, is sort of a, a thing that they do some, but not really uh, a, a deeply integrated part of their lives. It's sort of for whom sort of uh, seeking first the kingdom of heaven, seeking first God has not really been uh, a part of their um, priorities. It hasn't been, it's not high on their priority list. Um, and so... Uh, I, I feel like Jesus sort of puts out this call, this radical call, and invites people in. And uh, it's challenging for everyone, but it, but uh, but the question of how does that how how do, the question of relevance, the question of the impact, how does this, how, what is what is the gift of this? How is this a gift to us? How is Jesus's call a gift to us? Um, I think it's uh, I think it is a radical gift in that it, it it orders us and orients us around the things that matter most, that are that are most eternal for us. Um, so that would be my my, my global answer to the question of relevance would be that that piece what are the places what are the places that you uh resonate with the relevance piece yeah i think you know if i were to say okay what is uh i mean what is a a specific word for today from the sermon on the mount uh and there are a number of them this might not be the most important one but one that sticks out to me is um the part uh where he talks about oaths you know let your yes be yes and your no be no uh, part of, part of uh, what I was thinking about, and even what I talked about when I preached this section, is that uh, in many of us have signed contracts. Many of us have had to say things and, and add something like, I promise to do that. And we don't question why. But the reason is because we've normalized lying. Huh. Uh-huh. Um, we have accepted a reality that says that um, people lie. And we've accepted it because it's true. <laughs> People do lie. <laughs> yes. We have lied. We have broken contracts. We have broken promises. Mm-hmm. Um, but the type of, of, of right-side-up world that Jesus is calling us to is a world in which people are as good as their word. Mm. And when we catch glimpses of people like that, we know there is something different. We know there's something inside of us that says... That we wish the world were like that. Mm. We wish everyone were like yeah. that. And um, um, part of what I think this calls us to is, one, to to resist the assumption or to resist the normalization of lying. Mm-hmm. I don't mean assume that everyone's telling the truth. Right. Um, there are people who give you good reason to doubt. But then it leads you to think, okay, how do I need to live? And what type of environment around me do I need to cultivate so that lying is not assumed. Mm-hmm. Lying is not normalized. Mm-hmm. So that's not assumed that we need to add to our words in order to be believed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is a, a significant and challenging word for our day and age. That's and I think it's relevant to, to today. Absolutely.
Yeah, uh, Davis and I are car shopping, used car shopping. I'll tell you what, nothing will make you think people are lying like used car shopping, right? Like every time we get to a dealer or look at a car, you're like, is this guy telling me the truth? Well, well, and the anxiety that that raises, right? Like, can I trust it? Whatever, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of thing. So it was interesting just talking, just talking about that and thinking about what what was it like to operate in an environment where lying was expected or or certainly was on the table, you know, um, and different uh, and different to different degrees when you walk across a sketchy used car dealer. If, like if all the world was like that, right? It would it, it would be uh, it would be uh, a, a, a atrocious for all of us to, to to be on that to be on that edge. And you read, you know, reports of uh, Maoist China or Stalin, you know, Russia. I mean, like, like we can't trust anybody, mm-hmm. right? Like it would, how it how it unravels social fabric, right? It it just destroys community. And so, the idea of when you th- when you think about sort of the challenges about that for us, okay, so we're not in Stalinist. Russia or Maoist China or we're not used car dealers either but um, what are the small ways that undercuts us what are the what are the small uh, uh, accommodations we make to lying for ourselves and uh, what are the ways that that do you think that affects our ability to have healthy relationships well <laughs> some of it is it engenders the inherent mistrust um, so you know in certain dealings, it also gives us it, it, it gives us the assumption that we can break our word. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, particularly it's like, well, you know, if you didn't sign for it or you didn't sign a contract, did you promise? Did you put it on paper? Then you're not committed to that. Uh, that is a temptation because uh, it's a it's it's a temptation to say uh, I can be untrue to my word. Mm-hmm. Um, and it keeps us also from being honest because sometimes we have to go back on things that we said. Um and sometimes, you know, uh, things like, oh, we didn't, uh, we didn't sign anything or we didn't promise that or, you know, there's no evidence of it. Um, it keeps us from doing things like saying, you know what, when I initially committed to this, um, I, mis- I underestimated what I had the capacity for or I misjudged what I needed and, uh, and, I, need, and I need to change something. Part of it is, I think, because we fear that we're going to be that we're setting ourselves up to take be taken advantage of, uh, and so we'd rather take advantage of first. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I yeah, I, it, what it does to a society, what it does to our relationships, it it, it creates a a barrier to overcome, a barrier to trust, um, and uh, it engenders suspicion that. Uh, it makes it hard to have healthy relationships. It makes it hard to build a functioning society. It makes it hard to have a healthy family. Um, I mean, in families where where people don't sign contracts with each other on relationships, um, uh, or when but you know when you say things like oh well I didn't promise that uh, when you don't deliver on something as a way to get out of it you know like that's that's the fruit of the world that we live in a world of oaths. Mm-hmm. Um, how easy would it be to say? I'm sorry. I know I said I would do that, and I wasn't able to. And what can I do to make it better? Um, but we can, we use the like, well, I didn't promise, mm-hmm. as if to say, you shouldn't expect me to deliver on my word unless I add to it. Mm-hmm. Um, like if you're a child and a parent says that to you, or an older sibling says that to you, uh, the, what that creates in you, I can't imagine. Uh huh. It's uh, so it, you know the Sermon on the Mount is this 
sweeping broad thing, all kinds of things. It's striking to me that you that the thing that stands out to you is a thing about relationship mm-hmm. with other people, right? The oaths and promises. Do you think this is sort of a cultural moment? Do you think that do you think that uh, like sort of there's a cultural lens that shapes what what stands out to you in that moment as you're reading the text in that way? That that, that the relationship between people is what is, is the thing that you that you're that you're naming as the most as, as the thing that's relevant, not the most relevant, but something that's felt to you when I asked you that question. So how would you say the culture your, your cultural background informs or shapes that uh, that that observation and that resonance for you? I mean, everyone's cultural background and situation and past informs how they engage the text in the present. That's inevitable. Uh, I think for me, the relational aspect is part of it. Part of it is my my family of origin, uh, the dynamics within my family. You know, I told a story uh, on when I preached this about how um, my grandfather is a man of his word, and he ingrained that in me, and how. You know, my father, who was bound by court orders to pay alimony, you know, with penalty if he didn't, didn't. Hmm. He wouldn't. Wow. Uh, and yet my grandfather, um, and he got, my, and my father got in trouble because of that. And uh, my grandfather, when it got really bad, just came to my mom and said, uh, you will never want for this again. And he made himself responsible. He didn't have to sign a contract. He didn't have to go to a judge. He didn't have to make a promise. He just said he was going to do that. Uh, so I think that's what shapes it more for me is that that moment and just the legacy of his life ingrained in me this sense of being a man of your word, a person of your word. And so there were times where I would, and I wasn't self-aware enough of this, but I would get upset both when people demanded more of me in terms of to add, like, oh, well, do you promise? Or why don't you sign this? Or he puts, and I'm like, I, unless I've given you reason, just... Take me at my word, uh, but also when people weren't uh, people of their word. Uh, so then, when I, you know, when I see it in the text, I'm like, oh, like it makes me see, oh, we live, we need this. You know, I, I, I mourn that we need it. I know that we need it. I wish we were in a different. I wish we could be people who who lived in such ways that that uh, you know what I what I told people on on Sunday was, you know, if you start to cultivate. A reputation as someone who is of their word it will change people around you because eventually you will feel the inclination to promise something and you'll tell someone oh do i need to you know like i promise that and someone will turn around and say i don't need you to say anything else because i know you're a person of your word and then you will know that you are making a difference like then you know that you are changing things around you yeah uh, but yeah, I, I think the culture uh, is affects how I look at the text. I mean, it's why I think of um, the, the text in, with collective eyes. I don't just think of individuals. I think of people. I think of the societal impact of some of these things. Um, but yeah, it's hard to not think of of relationships. I mean, a lot of the text is relational. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, you, you know, we talk about murder, adultery, divorce. Um Judging others, those are all uh-huh. relational in in nature. Mm-hmm. Relational in nature. How about you? How do, you, how uh, like what strikes you? Or sorry, what what uh, what draws what calls out to you when you think about what's relevant from the text? Yeah, well, I pause and say what a great gift your grandfather was to you. Right? Yeah. What a cool what a what a what a great legacy to leave for you. So that's yeah. a it's a great story. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, for sure. Um. Yeah, I think. The uh, and you say the the thing that you mentioned earlier about sort of there's a relentlessness to this that doesn't let you hide right that that kind of <laughs> that, that keeps that, that keep that keeps kind of 
pursuing you until you relent mm-hmm. to it. Basically, until you either reject or relent it, right? Like, there's a way where I remember talking with, with one person who had a real heart for outreach and evangelism, and and I had a real uh, desire to, see, to to give people lots of space to be on their spiritual journey. But he said, you know, he said, eventually I want to be a fork in the road for people. And Jesus Jesus occasionally would, would sort of put forks in the road. You know, rich young ruler, like, go sell everything you have and then come follow me, right? Every so often Jesus puts forks in the road for people. And it's and uh, I think George McDonald says, at, so, at some point it's good for you to, at some point it's even spiritual growth for you to reject Jesus and know it, right? To, to, to realize, like, I'm not going to, I'm not walking the Jesus way. I'm not pretend, like, there's a way where you can pretend to be a, Jesus follower, but not really. Actually, have it be shaping your life the way that Jesus calls you to, um, and uh, and there is pretense to that. There is uh, a lack of integration. There's a lack of integrity, right? Integrity integrated. There's a way where that's not actually integrated as holistically or fully as it could. And so, I think a I think a passage like this, in terms of our own journey with God, it it, it it's uh, if you let it do its work, it will, it, it is a fork in the road. Like you're either willing to sort of, you're either willing to say, yes, this is right side up. I agree with it. And I'm willing to walk in it. Or you reject it as either sort of impossible or silly or foolish, or maybe it's true. I just don't want to do it. Right. Cause it's, it, it seems too hard or I have to give up too much or whatever. And so, um, so I do think that, 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 that thread on the sort of uh, the relentlessness of the of the of the sermon and the way the the brilliance with which it's it's crafted together and the threads that kind of riot surface and come back again, um, I think there's something about that that's very compelling, and uh, and resonant in the, and again as as we're doing these bigger chunks of the of the text to let it do its work in the in, in the broadness of it it's it's uh, it's both beautiful and startling yeah. <laughs> all at the same time. Yeah, the other thing that uh, I, when I think about how this is relevant today, um, part of, part of, uh, and I've talked about this before, one of the things that disturbs me, uh, disturbs my soul, it causes me, leads me to prayer, it causes me to, to, to just long for the kingdom of heaven is um, how much of our society is structured around winners and losers, that, that dichotomy of winners and losers, Mm -hmm. and how much, um, Many of us, myself included, um, like to win, <laughs> uh, and like to win sometimes in spite of, or sometimes uh, in order to cost others, uh-huh. like in order to make others losers. Um, and actually, it's one of the one of the principles of nonviolence is, uh, you know, we want to we want to overcome, we want to we want to succeed, but uh, but not to humiliate our opponents, and that's a very anti-winner and loser thing. Um, because part of what we do in society with losers or people who, who we defeated is we humiliate them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we are not gracious in victory. Now, uh, I'm not talking about sports. In sports, there are victors and there are people who lose. Like, that's normative. And in a lot of places, uh, uh, there, are, there are very gracious winners in those scenarios. But in some of our spheres in society... Uh, uh, whether it's politics or family or business, um, there there is a way in which we see people who have not come out on top as being less than, mm-hmm. and we 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 somehow assume that that gives us the privilege to belittle them. And um, part of what what strikes me from the Sermon on the Mount is that a lot of what it calls us to hear would put us in the position of perceived losers. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, like, turn the other cheek. Right, yep. Uh, mourn. 
be poor in spirit, be you're going to be persecuted. Um, the, the, you know, don't seek to accumulate treasures on this earth. Uh, there's just so much. Don't draw attention to yourself at mm -hmm. times. Um, there's just so much that would seem to put us in the position of losers. And uh, uh, part of me uh, loves that. Part of me feels extremely challenged by that because it feels extremely vulnerable. Oh, yeah. Um, and and uh, and the reality is, I think the sobering word for us is that particularly in our day and age, in order to live right side up, in order to live by this, um, by, in order to live this way, we are we are going to have to uh, allow ourselves to be put in situations where we are not going to come out on top as the world wants. I mean, Dr. King uh, was shot. I think of Bishop Oscar Romero, um, a peacemaker. Like they're both peacemakers. They're both uh, not. Uh, they don't. They don't. Uh, they didn't uh, accept the status quo. They disturbed the status quo. Not because they were rabble-rousers, but because there was some false shalom. There was some false peace, and peace needed to be brought. And they were assassinated for it. They were killed for it. Um, that, you know, most people, cynical people, will look at that and see uh, those people lost. Because they're dead. They're, they're not around anymore. They must have lost. And yet the kingdom of heaven, the, the, the way of Jesus, um, flips that over. Yeah. Well, you know, I was thinking about this and, and, and talking about this in our small group the other night. And uh, there's a there's a way, you know, Jesus says, don't worry, don't hoard, you know, those sort of things. And and, and the punctuation mark that keeps surfacing for me is um, the goodness of the Father, mm -hmm. right? Like the Father knows, the Father sees, the Father rewards. Like if you, if you, you, if you ask for bread, you know, you're, you're not going to give your kid a stone. Like if, you're evil and you know how to give good gifts to your kids, right? Like oh, Jesus is always so, so kind. And now we talk about <laughs> humanity. You're evil and you know how to do good things for your kids. And, 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 and what strikes me is this, like if God is not as good as Jesus says he is, you should hoard. Like, it, like you should worry. Like, like, like being a loser makes no sense whatsoever. Like, no. right? If, if, the, the underpinning, the whole thing, the whole throw on the mouth, every bit, every last bit of it depends on God the Father being as good as Jesus says He is, mm -hmm. right? And as faithful and as generous and as provisional, and that there's this there's this larger kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. That's a reality. That's a, that's, that's more real than this earth, right? And 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 Jesus was obviously passionate, rabid, believed that with all his heart, soul, mind, strength. To the point of giving up his body, trusting the Father was that was that good, right? Mm -hmm. And and uh, and and basically, I think um, the thing that strikes me that's the underpinning of all this of uh, the only reason why it makes any sense to be willing to turn the other cheek or go the extra mile or whatever is uh, because there's a Father who sees and knows and rewards. And if there and if, if that's if that's not true, then this whole thing is ridiculous. And uh, Jesus is upside down, frankly, right? But the 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 only way this is right side up is if there's a there's a good father in heaven, and so that 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 underpinning, the confidence that Jesus has in the Father, is really is 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 a quiet thing that operates in the background of the whole thing, um, and even even uh, and it pushes me because I don't because I, what, it, what it exposes in me is I'm not always confident the Father's going to come through, yeah. right? I'm not always confident the Father's going to come through. It's certainly not going to come through on my terms. Yes, exactly. Well, that's the thing, right? That the, like the, the deeper dive on that is what do I not really trust about the Father? Yeah. What I don't trust the Father's going to deliver on my agenda, and that's. 
that's hard to let go of, right? And sometimes my agenda feels very reasonable and very rational. And of course, you know, and if, if I were God, I'd want to get, you know, I mean, I don't, it's not, it's, it's for me, it's subtle, not explicit, but there's, there, that's an, it exposes, that's an operation for me, right? And my lack of belief that the Father is good, even when uh, it leads me to a cross or even when it leads me to the desert to be tempted, right? Uh, like it, it, it leads me, uh, it exposes my lack of trust in the goodness of the Father, which Jesus so radically trusted in all the way to the tomb, all the way to his own death, right? And, um, you know, and at the end of the day, this uh, Jesus is sort of saying, like, and the same God that's coming through for me will come through for you. Follow me, right? Mm-hmm. That's the, that's the, that's the, that's the call to enter into this right side of living is the Father is good, so live like it. And this is what that means. And, uh, and that does look like losing, right? And, and, and there's a way where the willingness to embrace that title, if we have to in the world, um, is predicated on me being willing to sort of say, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a child of the king, and that's, the, that's my primary identity. And, and it, in some ways that uh, makes me, uh, um, I don't know, it means that I'm impervious to the, to, the, to the critique, the social critique of winner or loser, frankly, because that's, that, that, that's not my primary identity. Like the primary identity is rooted somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And my primary orientation is around the kingdom of God. And that's, that, that, that requires a whole work of sort of spiritual imagination that requires, again, so much time to cultivate. And it's just, it's a practice, right? It's a practice yeah. to sort of root into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, at, at to shift gears, the Sermon on the Mount uh, contains a number of things that are hard to hear and somewhat challenging to interpret or understand. Uh, so what are some of the ones that you found and, uh, yeah, let's, what thinking have we done around those? Oh my God. Yeah. There's so many things, right? So there are, you know, we've, we, you were talking a couple weeks ago about sort of rabbinic hyperbole, right? Yeah. There are some ways that Jesus is intentionally turning the volume up on, on the, uh, on his statements in order to, in order to make a, uh, make a point. Uh, and then at the same time, you know, when like, you know, I mean, this is a place where Jesus talks about hell, like, a, like multiple times talks about hell in these passages, right? And a couple of weeks ago, you know, when we were talking about some of those passages, I, I was saying to the folks at Woods, like, listen, you might not be a Jesus follower. And I'm so glad you're here. And there's an invitation for you to live right side up in an upside down world. But I would be doing you a disservice if I did not tell you that Jesus speaks in the strongest possible terms. If you will not walk in this way, there might be consequences. Mm-hmm. Like there might, there's more at stake here than you even know than you can ever, po- than any of us can possibly realize when it comes to will you live right side up in an upside down world or not. And Jesus uh, has some serious things to say about that and that's a hard thing right c.s lewis at one point says uh god promises terrible things if we will not be happy that's it that's his take on hell basically uh that if we, if we will not follow his path into right side of living essentially to shalom then he promises terrible things to that so that's a it's a it's a, it's a jarring thing i think those are things that are um that are sobering for yeah. me and uh and i think that like it brings me back to sort of some a quiet submission to uh to the severity of what's happening what's at stake here and the significance of what jesus is saying who um who is so much more in tune with the kingdom of god and other spiritual realities that are that are challenging so that's a that would be a that would be one particular place where i feel like i spent some time sort of wrestling and thinking about in terms of the, the difficult the difficulty the tensions that jesus causes it to uh, there's other more particulars but what about you what are some things that have been you've been wrestling with yeah there's a section towards the end of the sermon on the mount that talks about um uh, people who will enter the kingdom of heaven. It says, not everyone who says, who says yeah. to me, Lord, Lord. <laughs> yes. And then it proceeds to list all these things that these people who are not going to get in yeah. uh, did. Yeah. And it's like prophesy and <laughs> drive out demons yeah. and perform miracles. Crazy, yes. Uh, and it says that that 
that they're not getting in, that only the ones who do the will of the Father are going to get in. And I'm like, aren't those things <laughs> of the Father? And, yeah. uh, you know, uh, as, a, as a minister, one of the sobering comments is that, uh, you know, someone who's dedicated their lives to uh, be about the Lord's business in a uh, societally traditional way, because uh-huh. I think anyone in any vocation right. can be about the Lord's business. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, part of it, it makes me wonder, like, am, am I... Do you know my my? I guess my most depressed moments, uh, or saddest moments. I might think, oh, am I doing all these things, but not really doing the will of the Father? You know. Mm-hmm. So then, what are the signs yeah. um, that I'm doing the will of the Father? Um, and some of the thought I've had around that is, sometimes I think God uses uh, imperfect people and even people who are not necessarily cooperating with Him to bring about good things for the sake of the people for whom they are being brought about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the person who has a demon driven out of them needs freedom. Yeah. Needs freedom. Even if the person declaring that over them uh, is um, not doing good work uh, or not really engaged with the father. Um, ultimately, it also reminded me that uh, uh, the person who drives out demons is Jesus. <laughs> it's the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus' power. It's by uh-huh. God's authority. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, it's not by my authority, most certainly, that people are healed or that they experience miracles. It's it's God's. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, it reminds me that, uh, you know, outward acts that are good are not necessarily the thing, the, the, where, the place where God stops to see who are his disciples who are the people who are following him it goes he goes after the heart um, yeah he goes after character he goes after uh the devotion the primary devotion mm-hmm. um uh, and uh you know it's it's uh it's hard to read uh because my initial thing is like then who can get in if not these people yeah but then it reminds me it's like okay because because at the same time uh i might never be part of a miracle Right. I might never be part of driving out a demon. I may never be part of uh, prophesying. But uh, if I have uh, embodied the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, hope, gentleness, self-control, then uh, then it's good fruit. Yeah. It's good fruit. Yeah, indeed. So, Jaime, as we, uh, as we close out here, um, what are, uh, where do we go from here as we wrap up the series and uh, soon? Uh, how do we keep walking in the Sermon on the Mount? What does, that, what does it look like for us, you think? I mean, I think part of it is this takes deliberate action from us. Um, I mean, with every sermon series and with every sermon, we want people, we want ourselves to be transformed by the Scripture. But, and we've sought that here and we've invited people to engage in that here. Um, I think if we don't um, find ways to apply what we've learned in a long, in a longer walk, mm. um, you know, the teachings from the Sermon on the Mount aren't a one one moment kind of thing. Some of it, I mean, you can make a, a turn of the heart, right? You can say, today I'm going to uh, trust God from now on with all my resources, but you got to make that decision every day. That's right. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, that that could be particular because we live in a world that has normalized upside downness. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's so much that's going to want to pull us back to that. That I think finding at least one or two deliberate ways 
that we are going to live right side up is key for me, uh, key for, for you, I think, key for uh, us at Chatham Community Church, key for anyone who would want to apply the stuff in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, how about you? What do you, what do you uh, think as you think about looking forward? Yeah, I just think, you know, Jesus closes it with the wise and the foolish builders, right? Mm-hmm. And they, hey, whoever, like, basically builds on my words, their lives will stand. Like, what they build stands. And there's a way where, you know, I, one, something about uh, Chatham County I really appreciate is there's a bias toward action. We Like, you know, I, I spent a lot of time working with college students in university settings, and there's a lot of thinking and committees, mm-hmm. but not always a lot of actually doing. And I think I think there's a way where Jesus has a strong bias towards action, he right? He's, he's very earthy. And uh, there's a lot of, like, don't just, like, listen to it. Like, the, you need to go build your life on this thing, you know? And so I think there, and you think about um, a construction project of any size, we're thinking about doing a, you know, a building for, you know, North Chatham. That's going to be a long process. And I think that idea of, um, the, the idea that the upside-down world has a gravitational pull and inertia to it. And basically, if you just stand still, you're going to get some moving walkway, just get caught up into upside-down living. And that, that that you mentioned sort of that deliberateness over a long period of time in particular areas to say and i think it even takes um reminding ourselves that that we do live in an upside down world right to, to when when you hear the siren call of whatever you're a lord to money or whatever to, to, to remind us of, wait, wait wait this is upside down jesus has said this is upside down let me you know to to, to have language and framework to do that i think that does require practice that does require ongoing uh ongoing deliberateness particularly in the areas where we're prone to all to uh, collaborating. You know, almost all of us have something by temperament or nature that we're drawn to that's upside down in a fallen world. And I think there's particular areas where all of us have, have work to do, whether it's, you know, worry or other things that Jesus talks about to say, oh man, how am I living upside down? And how is Jesus calling me to live right side up? And I think that's one day at a time, uh, one decision at a time, as you said. Well, folks, thanks for uh, tuning in to our On The Way podcast. We hope to be back with you in the near future. Take care.